0: In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12, it talks about the grace of God that brings salvation. And the fact that that grace has appeared unto all men and that that grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a great... uh, pivotal verse uh, right there in the uh, book of Titus, the pastoral epistles, and it kind of encapsulates what God intends for all of us, grace. God is so gracious that he loved the world. He's so merciful that he sent his son, amen, and gave his son to be a ransom for us to restore the original purpose of God. I've talked to you so many times about purpose and intentionality. God does everything according to his purpose. Does everything according to intentionality. He doesn't just haphazardly go about anything. But God has a plan and a purpose that he follows very specifically. He loves all of you more than I can ever tell you. There aren't any words for me to describe the Unsurpassed as what the songwriter says, overwhelming, overwhelming, endless love of God. It chases me down, amen, fights for me, and finds me when I get lost. That it's the grace of God that does that. How many of you know that we all were created for one reason, and that is to give glory and honor and praise and exaltation to the Lord? That's what we were created for. You remember that old song years ago that we sang, I was born to serve the Lord? Amen. Created in his likeness, created in his image, for I was born to serve the Lord. And I can't deny him. I'll always walk beside him, for I was born to serve the Lord. Every one of us in this house were created, created beings that we could be a glory to God. Not only through our voices of lifting up praise and adulation to him, but also to live our lives as an emblem that would say to a world that God loves them and God cares about them. God cares for this world through us. Did you know that? We are God's hand extended. We're God's expression to a lost and dying world. Amen. And I I believe every one of us in this house are people of influence. You may not be influencing a lot of folks, but you're influencing some folks. And can you say with the Apostle Paul, can you say these words, follow me as I follow Christ. Got one amen and a yes. So we're not ready for everybody to use us as a pattern than to uh, serve the Lord is that what we're saying well I'd probably need to fix up a few things brother Jerry before I'd sign that contract well that's what the purpose of this message is today to get you to that place to where you're willing to say follow the Lord like I do and dad if you can't say that today I want my kids to follow the Lord like I do then you need to make some adjustments Mom, if you can't say to your daughter and to your children, I want you to follow the Lord like I do, if you can't say that, then I hope that before this service is over, you'll get to that place, that you can say to everybody around you, I I would that you would serve the Lord like I do. Now that really puts the on us, on us, doesn't it? It really puts us in a place of heaven or hell for some people. And I honestly believe that there are people in this community and in this town that God assigned harvest to reach for him. Wouldn't it be a terrible shame if some people that God intended us to reach went to hell because we didn't reach them? Wouldn't it be a shame if people that God counted upon us to get the gospel message to, to get the salvation message to, And they didn't get it and were lost because we didn't do what God wanted us to do. That's kind of sobering. Pastor, that's too much right at the first of a sermon. That ought to be at the last before we pray. But I want you to understand that God's will is that everybody be saved. It is not the will of God that anybody perish. Scripture tells us it's not the will of God. In 1 Peter, it's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all. How many is all? Everybody. Everybody. Young and old, rich, poor, sick, well. Whatever your station is, God's will is that nobody perish. Nobody perish. But that everybody would come to repentance and be saved then if that's true, then hell is not in God's plan for anybody. It is not God's will that anybody be lost. It's not God's will that anybody go to hell. Nobody will go to hell because God wanted that. And God is doing everything he can do short of taking your will away from you to get you to heaven. And he's put people in your life And he's put instances in your life to point you toward the Lord Jesus. He's put occasions and events throughout your life. They're there for a reason. We call them bumps in the road. They're there to help you think soberly about your soul. For every one of us in this house possess something that is so very important. And it's not your bank account, it's not your car, it's not your clothes, it's not your house. One thing that is more important than anything else, and that is your relationship with the Lord. That soul that you have is only one. There's only one like it. There'll never be another you. And we sing that song sometimes. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life, one life. One fellow said, there are no instant replays. You can't go back and try to call it, make the call again. You can't go back and relive that and re re-contemplate that once that you have made those decisions. They can't be undone. That's the thing about yesterday. I can't undo yesterday. I have no control over yesterday anymore. It's over. It's done. It's finished. And I can't revisit it and I cannot relive it. It's in the books. The only thing I've got power over is right now. I don't have power over tomorrow because I don't know about tomorrow. I may not live till tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow is so so uncertain. I don't have any control or any kind of influence over tomorrow. I can only live in the present. And I can only do and and think and act in the present the way God would have me to do. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 talks about creation. Creation is all about God speaking into nothing and commanding something to be there. His first words were, let there be light. And God spoke into utter darkness and said, let there be light. And the Bible tells us the worlds, plural, were made by him. And they were all spoken by God. The spoken word was the creative element that brought about our universe, brought about our solar system, brought about our earth. It was by the voice of God. God spoke and it became. It was created by the voice of God. But there is one thing that was not created and spoken. And that is you and me. Our federal head, whom we call Adam, What do you mean federal head? He represents us. He is our founder. He is our originating source. All of us in Adam and Eve, the Bible calls Eve the mother of all living. All of us can trace our roots back to Adam and Eve. Even through the eight people on Noah's ark, we all go back to Adam and to Eve but we were not spoken into existence. In fact, the Bible said God formed us with his own hands out of the dust of the earth. Wow. So we weren't spoken into existence. God shaped us, and God formed us out of what? What he had spoken into existence, the earth. And now God takes his hands and forms and shapes man into a perfect form out of the dust of the earth. Can you believe that? And I'm glad God got dirt under his fingernails. I'm glad that God doesn't mind getting his hands nasty and dirty with the dirt and the dust. But God shaped us and formed us out of the dust of the earth. And then God did something that is so remarkable. He breathed into us. He didn't slap us like the doctor does the babies. He didn't shake us. He didn't touch us. Now Michelangelo's got it wrong. The portrait Michelangelo uses is God touched Adam. But God didn't touch him. God breathed into him the breath of the Spirit. And the Bible said, and he became a living soul. Wow. A soul. He became a soul. You and I at that moment received life. You and I at that moment received God's purpose and God's plan and God's intention And God created Adam to be a glory and to be an honor and a blessing unto him. Hallelujah. By the second chapter now, we we find the Lord busy in creative activity. And the Bible tells us, the Lord God planted a garden, verse 8, in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, somebody say the ground, out of the ground, The Lord God, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out from Eden to water Eden and from there it parted and became four different river heads. And the gold of that land is good. It's of onyx and stone. The name of the second river is Gishon. And it is the one which encompasses the whole land of Cush. The name of that third one is Hadekael. And the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. And then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that ye eat of it you will surely die. Made of dust, made of dirt, formed in the likeness and the image of God, and breathed into and became a living soul. It seems to be a contradiction of words that are woven together in this passage from which our text is taken. Extremes are welded. Corruption and incorruption. Mortality and immortality. And we know about corruption don't we? We know about decay. We know about uh, immortality and the mortality of the soul. We know all about how we're made up. And we've been to the grave enough that we know the words ashes to ashes, earth to earth, and dust to dust. In fact, God said, Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Isn't that something that we're formed out of an element that we all become when we die? That we're dust upon the earth, and we're dust in the sight of God. And I love that scripture that says in the Psalms that God remembers that we are but dust. He remembers that we are but dust. I quoted that scripture one time and a little boy reached over and picked his mama on the hand and said, Mama, what is butt dust? <laughs> well, I'm sure that part of your anatomy gets in on the dust for sure. But he's telling us that he knows that we are only, that's a better word, I guess, only dust. In other words, God knows about the effect that the fall has upon all of us. He knows about what happened in the Garden of Eden. And it really plagued the heart of God and broke the heart of God when he had to command that they leave that that place and leave God's purpose and plan. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. The ground, out of the dust, out out of the dirt, God made him. The human body is composed of the same elements then of this earth. In other words, what made up the earth makes up us because we are taken from the dust. You might now be wondering what other elements are inside your body. Let's have a science lesson. You ready for a science lesson? Get this. The human body is made up of six elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. Less than 1% of us is composed of another five elements, potassium, sulfur, Sodium, chlorine, magnesium. All 11 of those elements are necessary for life and there are several other small traces. A man is not created by the spoken word but he's created by God taking his creation and shaping and forming it and then breathing into it the spirit of life. In fact, the Bible says without the presence of the spirit, there is no life. No life. I do know that when God prayed for, when Jesus rather prayed for a little girl, he prayed, she died. And Jesus said, Lord, let this child's spirit reenter her. And the Bible said, and she lived again. We'll we'll have to say then that the spirit of man is what gives us life. I also know that when Elijah prayed for a little boy, he spread himself upon the child. And he said, God, let this child's soul reenter him and his soul re-entered him, and he lived again. So both soul and spirit are linked together, and both of those things give us life. Now the only thing that goes back to this earth, and dust becomes dust, and ashes become ashes, and earth becomes earth when this house ceases to exist. But you rest assured, when that happens, The soul and the spirit is not present. No. Death means then a separation of soul and spirit from the body. In other words, the spirit being leaves the earthly house of this tabernacle. But Paul said, don't dismay, because when the earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, we have a building of God eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. Hallelujah. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that you never lose consciousness. Immediately when Martha Cato breathed her last breath last Sunday morning at 9, 1130, some of you thought you'd breathe your last breath about that time, but she breathed her last breath and she went to be with the Lord Jesus. She never went to purgatory. She didn't go to a waiting room. She didn't go to any appointment other than was requested, no. In fact, the Bible said immediately, immediately, she was in the presence of God Almighty to be absent from this body in a split second is present with the Lord. Immediately, when that house surrenders and gives up, immediately, that soul and that spirit leave that house. And what that undertaker drives up here in that limousine in, Brother Don, is just the house that she lived in. Oh, if you could see what God has in store for us dust-made earthlings. If you could just see the body. It's not a body like you've got right now. That body that you've got right now has doctor's appointments. That body you've got right now has false teeth. That body you've got right now has got a hearing aid. That body you've got right now has aches and pains and bunions and calluses. That that body you've got now has arthritis. That body you've got right now is uh, weakening and it's waning. So how do you know that, Pastor? Because it pertains to me. And very surely this body, this house will one day become unfit should the Lord tarry. And immediately when the last breath is drawn and the last pump of blood leaves that heart muscle, immediately that soul and that spirit will leave this house, leave this house. I said leave this house and go to be present with the Lord. And the Bible tells us that when the Lord comes back, he will bring the souls and the spirits of the righteous dead with him. In fact, he's going to appear with them somewhere in the air. Some of you think that first time you see Jesus is going to be on Sunday morning at harvest in the pulpit. No, first time you see Jesus... Is somewhere in the air. Brother Rodney is somewhere between here and where he is now. In fact, the Bible said the dead in Christ shall rise first. If the Lord should come right now, Martha'd get up before you do. If the Lord were to come right now, your dad would get up before you do. He got up before you did a lot of times, but this time's the most important time. He's going to get up before you do. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Finch is going to get up before you do, Louie. Why are you guys looking at me like that? You think I'm crazy? Let me quote you the word of God about that. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Did you say in the air? The first time you see Jesus will be somewhere in the air. Hallelujah. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air. In the sweet, sweet by and by. I'm going to meet you, meet you over there. Oh, you done. Let me preach this stuff. God help us. <laughs> I'm gonna meet you, meet you over there. In that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare. And God's own son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Dad Spear used to saying, what a meeting that will be. What a meeting in the air. First time you see your loved ones is going to be somewhere in the air. Hallelujah. Won't it be wonderful? I wish it would happen today. Oh, preacher, don't do that. I got some things I need to take care of before we do that. Well, you better be getting ready. I said, you better be getting ready. I said, you better be getting ready. The Bible said, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Amen. If the good man had known what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Oh, be ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He's coming like a thief in the night. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, there's another coming, and it's over in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and that's a time when he's going to come back all the way down to the earth. But at the catching away of the saints, I just quoted it to you, we're going to meet him somewhere in the air. But there's something else that's going to happen to this dust bowl we're living in. This old body that's got aches and pains and disease and toothaches and headaches and stomach aches. What's going to happen to it, pastor? It's going to be changed. I said it's going to be changed. It's going to be changed. Philippians 3 and 20 and 21. Who shall change? Did you get that? Change. Who shall change our dust bodies? Who shall change our dust bodies and shall fashion it like unto his own glorious body? You mean his is going to be the pattern? His is going to be the pattern. Does that mean we're going to have a body like his body? Yes. Yes. What kind of body did he have? He appeared in the upper room to the disciples and he said, Touch me, handle me, and feel of me, and see that I am not a ghost, for a spirit hath not. Flesh and bone like you see me have. So the glorified body that Jesus is going to give to all of us when the change comes is a body that has flesh and blood. No, no blood. Flesh and bone. Didn't say anything about blood. Well, why would it not have blood? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Besides, blood won't be needed anyway. Your dust body needs the blood. That earthly body needs the blood. Glory to God. That, that body that he's called this vile body, that's the one that needs blood. Why? Because it needs healing all the time. Because it's constantly in need of the blood circulating to get those white blood cells there to fight and heal up everything. But when you get the body that God's going to give you, that's not an earthly one. Amen. You won't ever have anything getting tore up or sprained or cut open or broke. You'll have a body that is an immortal body, and it's a corrupt, incorruptible body. It can never know disease. It can never experience sorrow. It can never be hurt. It can never ever be. Oh, you're not getting this. I want you to get this today because it'll make you want to go to heaven. It'll make you want to go to heaven to have a body like his own body. 1 John 3, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now that we are become the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. That when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. David said, when I awaken his likeness, then shall my soul be satisfied. Like him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He ate fish with his glorified body. We're going to eat the marriage supper of the lamb with ours. He walked. We're going to walk with ours. He walked with those two guys on that road to obey us. Right. When I get my glorified body, I'm going to walk with these, not these, but some glorified feet God's going to give me. In fact, the Bible said they would walk in and out the gates of that city. Well, I sure am glad you're telling us this, Pastor, because I thought we were just going to be kind of floating around on the clouds up there, plucking on a harp. Well, I'm so glad to tell you that God's got better plans than that. In fact, we're going to make up that great innumerable host that John on the Isle of Patmos saw praising and worshiping God, praising and worshiping God. He said, I heard them and said that they were so loud it sounded like thunder. And that thunder shook all of heaven. It shook everything up there. It was so loud. Brother Jerry, I get nervous when it gets loud at church. I just can't be in a crowd. Somebody told me they couldn't come to church because they can't stand to be in a crowd. Are you kidding me? Well, Brother Jerry, I just can't come to church no more. They play that music so loud I can't stand that music. It makes me nervous. What are you going to do in heaven? Are you going to go up to God and say, God, would you please turn the volume down, please, just a little bit? And whoever that is that keeps writing them notes and sending them in the offering to me to turn the thing down. Hey, quit writing them notes. I ain't got nothing to do with it. Pardon me just being as slangy as all get out. I ain't got nothing to do with it. I just preach. So quit writing them notes. A glorified body like his own glorious body. My Lord, when I awaken his likeness, then shall my soul be satisfied, David said. Like him, for we shall see him as he is. When God made man, he made man in the image, and God had a a plan. Can you believe that God intended in the garden that we would all dwell there, that we would replenish the earth, that we'd populate the earth? But because we had some ambition, some dust on us, we had some ambition that we could be like God. And we craved something that God never intended for us to have. And we lost it. We lost our relationship. Lost our place. And had to leave. Come on. We had to leave the presence of God because sin cannot abide in his presence. Wow. Job chapter 10 verse 9. Remember I beseech thee that thou hast made me as clay. And wilt thou bring me again to dust? Ecclesiastes 3 and 20, All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all shall turn to dust again. Hey, what that tells us is, folks, we're temporary. This this place, this house right here that is the dwelling place of my soul and my spirit, but it's also the dwelling place, the temple of the living God. God lives with me in this house. God lives with me in this earthly house. Inside, there's all kind of fellowship and grace. All kinds of wonderful things that's going on inside this house that you can't see. And the same is going on in your heart and in your life. You're the temple of the living God. And God said, I'll walk in you. I'll dwell in you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. You see... God created us to live forever. He didn't intend for death to ever make an inroad and get to us. He never intended for this creation of his to die. But because that slimy serpent slithered his way into our Eden and told some lies and some people believed those lies, and as a result, we lost our relationship with God. Well, when Moses, the Bible said Moses was the meekest man of all the earth, Moses was leading God's people, got him out of Egypt, got him out in the wilderness, and went up to Sinai, and he got an expression from God that's called the Decalogue. It's the Ten Commandments. But when he came down, he observed the people that got so impatient that the Bible said they made them a molten calf, took their gold, their earrings and all the things they had and melted them down and made a God with them. Now, can you imagine how that must have broke the heart of our heavenly Father That the people of Israel, the people of his purpose, the people of his covenant got tired of waiting on Moses to come back. And their earthliness, their dustiness, their dirtiness caused them to make a God for themselves. And what that tells us, it tells that people can invent their own God. Are you listening to this preacher? Some of you worship things. Almost to the point that it becomes a God to you. And God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Somebody said, you can make a God out of anything. Well, whatever your mind gets so attached to, whatever you spend the most of your time doing and thinking about, that's probably your God. For some of you, it's your work. It's what you think about all the time. It's what you talk about all the time. It consumes most of your thought life. All of your meditation is all about that. For some, it's relationships. And the sad part about that is if something happens in that relationship, then God gets blamed. I stood in many funeral homes and heard people Brother Don, and you have too, Brother Ford, that was so mad at God because he would not sustain life for one they loved. And I've heard them tell me, I'll never go to his house again. I'll never go to another church again. I'll never set my foot in another church. How can you become so upset with a situation like that unless that has become your God? You see, God says, don't have any more gods before me. Don't have anyone, not your work, not your wife, not your family, not anything can come between you and God. God is the most important thing in your life, and you've got to take care of that. He's the one that breathed the breath, the spirit into you that made you a living soul. When Moses came down, he was so angry that the Bible said he threw the tablets down and broke them. threw them down and broke them. Why, Pastor? Because he was so disgusted with all the things that had happened. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their names from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. What are we saying here? God is saying, Moses, I'm tired of working with these stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. Nod your head. And the Bible said they provoked God with their hardness of their heart and with the stiffness of their neck, their rebellion, and God said, Moses, get out of my way and let me destroy them. And what was God was saying was, Moses, instead of Adam, I'll start all over with you. And I'll make the covenant with you. If Abraham's children won't worship me and serve me, then I'll do away with all of that. I'll start all over with you. What would you do? Hmm. Moses, here's your chance. Boy, talk about promotion. You're not just a wanderer around in the wilderness anymore. You get to be the main man. You get to be the one with the covenant. You get to be the one that I will fulfill my promise to. You're the one that'll count most. Wow. What did Moses say? Let's read the rest of it. Let me alone, God said, so i turned and i came down from the mount and the mount burned with fire and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands and i looked and behold ye had sinned against the lord your god and had made you a molten calf Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the lord had commanded you and i took those two tables and i cast them out of my two hands and I broke them before your eyes and I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which you have sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Wow. No wonder Moses was called the meekest man of all the earth. What a pastor. What a pastor that he said, I fasted 40 days and 40 nights because of your sins. Buddy, you don't have anybody but Jesus who loves you more than that. You don't have anybody that loves you more than somebody that would go to God and intercede for you and say, God, please don't do this thing that you're you're thinking about. God, please don't let your hand be raised against your creation. God, please, please. They're the the people you gave to me. I've led them and I've loved them. Said, in fact, God, if you're going to kill them, just go ahead and kill me first. Because I don't want to be a part of anything that kills all of them. Just take me first. What a pastor. What a pastor that said, I fasted 40 days and 40 nights, didn't eat, didn't drink because of your sins. Wow, look at the 19th verse. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time. Boy, somebody in this house ought to have said, thank God, because you wouldn't be sitting here today if Moses had not gone to God and talked to God, and God hearkened to Moses. Can you believe that? God hearkened unto Moses. Listen to the rest of it. And I took your sin. I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burnt it with fire, and I stomped on it in the dust, and I ground it up very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast that dust into the brook that descended out of the mount. Oh, boy, there's some metaphors there that we just can't run past. What happened on the mount? Moses said, I went up the mount to Sinai and I met God when I got up there. And he gave me the commandments. He gave me the way, the pattern, the the, the ethical way, the socio-ethical ways that he wanted his people to live. And I I cherished being in his presence because I got the law. And the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Jesus. The law is what exposes our transgression and makes us aware of our sin. And that's where judgment is. It's at the top of that mountain. But at the bottom of that mountain, there's a stream that flows out from it. Oh, you'll get it in a minute. Somebody ought to be in the aisle. Why is that, Pastor? Because there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners, and sinners, and sinners, and sinners plunge beneath that flow and lose all their guilty stains. Oh, isn't it something that in the mountain where the law was revealed, there was also a stream of grace? that people could be forgiven, could be washed, and could be cleansed. Moses said, I took your sins, and I ground them up into dust, and I took them over there to the stream that's called grace that flows out the mountain of the law, and I cast your sins into that stream, and they washed all of your sins away. I ground your sins up like dust. And I took them and I cast them into the stream. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Psalm 103 and 14. For he knoweth our frame. He knoweth our frame. You know what the word for dust is? It's adama. And from that Adama, we get the word Adam, which is the name of the first human being. It means mankind. There's also a Hebrew word called humus, from which we get human. So you might say that that dust, that Adama, mixed with the humus, made mankind and made humankind. Adam was then that first expression of life planted here upon the earth. The Bible calls that Adam the first Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 through 47, if you can put that up there for me, it talks about two Adams. Touch your neighbor and say, two Adams. Touch your neighbor and say, "Two two Adams. Two Adams. The first Adam, the Bible said, was a living soul. A living soul. The second Adam, the Bible said, was a quickening spirit. He was the Lord from heaven. The first Adam, he says, was of the earth. earth, He was earthy. He was dusty. He was dirty. Howbeit, also it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. One is Adam. The second one up there that made the quickening spirit, that's the Lord Jesus. The quickening spirit is the Lord Jesus. Next verse. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. Real soft, real soft. That which is spiritual. In other words, they're separated by a spiritual body and a natural body. Adam's is a natural body. The Lord Jesus is a spiritual body. Next verse. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Are you saying, pastor, that Jesus is the second Adam? Yes. Yes. Jesus is God's second attempt. His second attempt. Jesus is God's way of getting it right. So in order for the dust to work, a quickening spirit, Jesus has got to be inserted into the equation. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That first man is earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Next verse. And as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Such as are dusty, they're also dusty. As is the dusty, so also are they that are dusty. Hallelujah. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Next verse, you're gonna shout, you got it ready to shout? And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Glory to God. Can you believe that we who are earthy can be heavenly? That we who are dirty can be holy? That we who are estranged can be brought nigh, that we who were lost in deprivation and in sin can find forgiveness and relationship with God? How can we who are earthly bear the image of the heavenly? It's by that quickening spirit that the Lord Jesus imparted to every one of us. Ephesians 2 and 1, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sin, amongst whom also we all had our conversation in the lust of our flesh, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we'll also bear the image of the heavenly. Wow, next verse. It says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That spirit of the Lord has given you life and has given you life more abundant. And what you have right here, sitting right here today, is the promise of the heavenly. I said, you've got the promise of the heavenly. The Lord Jesus has said, He that believeth on me, that believeth on me, you're going to bear the image of the heavenly. God is fixing a home in heaven for you. Brother Jerry, how can I know that I have a home in heaven? 1 John 3 and 5. In him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Is there anybody in this house today that know that you're in him? Is there anybody here today that if your time should come today, you'd throw off this cloak of dust and you'd put on that robe of the heavenly? That if you transition today, you would transition out of this earthly into that heavenly? That if your time to come to go this day, that you would make that transition that you'd be in heaven? Do you have that assurance? Well, you got me wondering now. I thought we was all ready to go, but we're going to have an altar service now. Stand to your feet. Because some of you didn't look too positive when I asked you that question. And I don't want one person to leave here today that don't know. I said, I don't want anybody to leave here that don't know. Because God wants you to know. I said, the Lord wants you to know. The devil would want to keep you guessing and keep you in the dark and keep you doubting. God wants you to know. To know that you know that you know that you know. Praise God. And if you can't say that, I want you to be able to say that before you leave. How can I get to that place in God, Brother Jerry? Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened. Huh? Ask and you will receive. Here's a great, great verse. Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. Rodney, that that come right out of the book. Heath, that's right out of the book. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. If you want to know today, all you got to do is ask him. Lord, I want to know today. I'm not going to go back to my home, back to my job, back to my family. I'm not going, Lord, unless I know. I want to know. I want you to let me know, God. Hallelujah. I want you all over this building, start moving toward this area right here. I won't keep you long, I promise. You're coming back at five, I know. I know. Don't trip over anybody. I have a great missionary friend. He's in Mozambique. You probably can't say that. You'd think I was speaking in tongues or something. Mozambique. He intrigued me by telling about how they do a funeral. He, he was at a funeral with me one time, and he, I said, how do you do funerals? He said, well, we do it pretty much like you do, it's longer lasting than you do. But he said, at the close of our funeral service, we have a, a place back in the back where everybody goes and washes. I said, what? We all go back there and we wash our hands and we wash our feet. I said, why? He said, it's a kind of a belief among the people of Mozambique that if you get death dirt on you, then it will cause you eventually or sooner than you think to die. So being as we've been at a funeral and we've been around where we put somebody in the ground, buried them, they all go wash because they don't want any death dirt on them. What are you doing up here in this altar service? I'm letting y'all wash. Lest some dirt death should get on you. I don't want you to leave here today with any death dirt on you. I said I don't want you to leave here with death dirt on you. Make sure you get under your fingernails. Get it all out of you. Amen. Hey, I got death dirt out of me a long time ago. I didn't do it by dipping in any water or washing anything. I got it when I went to Calvary's cross. And I found a Jesus whose blood washes whiter than snow. And I found a Jesus who promised life, 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 life. And it's not about something I have to wash off of me. It's about something I got to have in my heart. Got to have in my heart. And the Bible said having your conscience sprinkled from an evil conscience. Your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your hands washed in pure water. Glory to God. That's spiritual. What does that mean? That goes on in the temple. Whose temple? I'm the temple of live in God. Amen. You know who the priest of my temple is? Me. I'm the priest in my temple. And by appropriating grace to me, I'm doing the exercise that a priest would do. A lot of people can administer grace to somebody else. They just can't administer grace to themselves. What are you saying? I mean forgiveness. I mean you've got to learn how to live by grace and forgive yourself. You've got to learn how to get that dirtiness off of you. Get it off of you. Ready to pray? Dear Lord Jesus... We come as a body of Christ. So many times in our walk of life we're confronted with questions. Some we can answer. Some we can't. Today, in this altar we've come for assurance. We've come for confidence. We want to know for sure that our name is in that book of life. We want to know for sure that our sins are under the blood and forgiven and washed away. We want to know that God is pleased with us. In Jesus' name, we lift our heart, touch us now, and assure us of your presence and your relationship and your grace. In Jesus' name, and I accept by faith that it's all under the blood. In Jesus' name. is it that simple? Yes. We complicate it so much because we think God's got to do some kind of extraordinary thing. God administers grace and healing and forgiveness so easily. So easily. The hard part is you reaching out there and taking it. Now the Bible calls what God has for you. One more and then we'll go. God has for you a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Brother Jerry, if I could just know. We just prayed for you to know. So what you've got to do right now is reach out by faith and take hold of that word that I just gave you. The gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. See if I can find something to give somebody. I want you to have that right there. Did you see how easy that happened? He by faith accepted when I offered, and he walked up to here, come on somebody, came up here, knowing that I wouldn't catch it away, and I wasn't fooling with him, I wasn't messing with him, and I handed it out, and he walked up there. What'd he do? Took it. That's what I want you to do. Before you leave here today, I want you to reach out there and take it. He's not gonna snatch it back, He's not fooling you. He's not messing with you. He's telling you, I want you to have this. It's yours. All you got to do is reach out there and take it. Glory to God. So by faith, every one of you in this altar, every one of you in this building, by faith, right now, reach out there and take hold of eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life. I said, lay hold on eternal life. I said, lay hold, lay hold upon eternal life. Glory to God. Now take it to yourself. Now then, let's say what people with the victory say. You ready? I am saved. I am healed. I am blessed. blessed. My name name is written there. And I'm confident of this one thing, that forgetting the things that are behind me and reaching toward the future, I press on on my journey to heaven. I'll see him by God's grace. Amen and amen. Lord of God no death dirt on me no death dirt in your shoes no death dirt anywhere around you praise God you're walking on holy ground right now you're standing on consecrated ground hallelujah say this and we're dismissing thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of God. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you today and we thank you for touching us in this altar today. We thank you, Lord, that our, our peace calling has made an election sure. We've made sure today, oh God, that everything is right and we're ready to meet you. I ask you to bless as we go from this house go restaurants to eat or go to our homes with our families. God, wherever we go, help us to carry this with us that I know, that I know, that I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I committed to him in the altar this day at harvest. Amen and amen. Amen.